You know, um, transparency. Transparency brings transformation. I'm going to tell you, um, I got an email this week. You got to hear this. It's so cool. This is transparency, and any of us could put our name in this. Dear Pastor Conover, I hope you're doing well. We've been connecting with your series on the fruit of the Spirit and have been using it as an opportunity to teach our kids at home and focusing on being Spirit-filled as a family. I want to share with you a simple example of the Spirit working in our lives. This is what it's all about. This is so neat. Recently, my husband and I got into an argument. Nothing dreadful, but it had the potential to disrupt the rest of the day. My husband went to the pole barn to decompress. I went into the house. Although we try to keep these matters from our children, it was obvious when I walked in, they could sense the tension. And I started working around the house, trying to act like everything was normal. Can any of us relate? Well, don't put your hand up. Or put your hand up. Can any of us relate with this? Come on, this is real life. We all know what this is. We've all been there. And then our oldest daughter, who is six, approached me holding a Bible. And she asked me, Mom, could you help me review the fruits of the Spirit? <laughs> Sounds like discipline is needed. Her question stopped me in my tracks. We sat down, turned to Galatians 5. And after reading verses 22 to 26, I looked at my daughter and said, It looks like I need to go outside and talk to your dad. And when I went outside, I was pleased to find he had been praying about the situation too. We turned it over to the Lord. We sought forgiveness, and things worked out for good. Sometimes we think we're teaching our children, and then we realize sometimes they're teaching us. This was a seemingly small blessing, but it really showed our whole family the power that God's word and his spirit in us have to make changes in our daily lives. Have a great weekend. And then they sign their name. Isn't that cool? That's transparency that transforms. You know, I really believe the more we become transparent and real, because I know we walk in here and we dress up and our hair is doodled and everything looks good, but we live real lives and we all need what we're talking about. I know I do. And this is where the rubber meets the road. All of these fruit are needed in our regular lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Then here's the last two we're going to talk about. And then we're going to finish up in the next weeks on a couple thoughts about the Holy Spirit, and then we're going to go into a new series. But the last two we're going to deal with today of the fruit of the Spirit, gentleness and self-control. Gentleness and self-control.
control. Now, we may be a little far away for you to think about this, but every Thanksgiving, every Thanksgiving, when we were back in New York, when we would be going home, we would travel West Main Street, and right before we were to go up the hill toward our home, there was this one home, and right in their window, starting Thanksgiving and all the way through Christmas, they would put up the notorious leg lamp from the Christmas story. Do you remember that? The leg lamp from the, from the Christmas story. And, and the big saying with the leg lamp was, if you remember, fragile. And then he would say, it must be Italian. And so this was, this was dad, so it's Father's Day, so I get to say whatever I want on Father's Day. This was our big saying. Whenever we would drive past a leg lamp, I would just say it. I would say, Frigile. It must be Italian. So I brought in what I got one year for Christmas from one of my kids, the leg lamp coffee mug. And it has a Christmas story. It says Frigile, and there's the leg lamp on it with the box that it came in. Isn't that just lovely? And um, anyways... But it tells us and it reminds us things are fragile. Some things need to be handled with care. You know, we've all seen writings on boxes, you know, fragile, handle with care. And so it gives us this idea, you know, the contents inside must have value. The contents inside must be thought to be protected, and the responsibility for their well-being, the responsibility for the well-being of what's inside the box rests on the one handling the box. It's not on what's in the box to take care of itself. It's not on the, on the responsibility of the box itself. But that label says, you know what, you're the one that needs to be thoughtful and considerate to, to be mindful to take care of what's in that box. Handle it with care. And so just think about this. What if God put a label on people that said handle with care? How often is the heart of an individual crushed or the spirit of a child broken? How often do words or attitudes or actions damage an individual? How often do personal or man-created expectations impose a growing weight on others and then the judgment they are given when they don't measure up are punishing? Well, God does place the responsibility for the well-being of people that we deal with on you and I, and it is the fruit of the Spirit called gentleness. And it is the lens that we need to look through at other individuals, and on those lenses are these words that say fragile, handle with care. So if you're there in Matthew chapter 11... And 12, I, I want to give you an idea. Here's the context that the word gentle comes from when related to Jesus Christ, because there's no better example of gentleness than Jesus. 
And so the context of gentleness, we're going to see from Matthew 11. Interestingly enough, when you look at Matthew 12, the very first words say, at that same time. So at the very moment that Jesus said what he said in the very end of Matthew 11, it says, at that same time, some things happened. And so what happened in Matthew 12, two specific events. So one was the disciples of Jesus were going through grain fields. And it was the Sabbath, so it was Saturday. And remember, there was one of the Ten Commandments that said this. You remember it? Would you say it with me about the Sabbath? It says, remember the Sabbath to what? To keep it holy. So that was the commandment. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. That's all that God said in relationship to that. And so the disciples were walking through a grain field, and the, and the text mentions in chapter 12, it says they were hungry. They were hungry, and it was the Sabbath. All they did was pick heads of grain. That's it. They picked some heads of grain, and they put it in their mouth because they were hungry. And boom, the Pharisees leaped out with their expectations, their religious expectations, and they said, look. Look at your disciples. Look what they're doing. They're doing what is unlawful to do on the Sabbath. Well, I can tell you, you can look all day long in the Bible. You're not going to find that anywhere. It's not a biblical expectation. This is not a God-made expectation. It's a man-made expectation. Well, Jesus took him to school there in chapter 12, kind of brought him up to speed on what David did back in the Old Testament. And then, wouldn't you know it, <clears throat> they ended up bringing a man that had a lame hand. And they used him as a pawn against Jesus. So they didn't give a rip about the man. They didn't give a rip that he was hurting, but they brought this man with a lame hand. And, and here they brought him to Jesus and they said, hey, is it lawful to heal on the sabbath can you imagine that like they didn't care about a person they didn't care about the disciples being hungry they cared about their religious expectation their law that they made up and they didn't care about the man who was crippled in his hand they just cared about their law you better not do anything that requires any level of effort on the sabbath and they came to jesus and they said so what about this man what about his hand is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath. And so Jesus said in chapter 12, verse 11, he says, you know, if any of you had a sheep that fell into a pit on the Sabbath, wouldn't you pull it out? How much more valuable is a person? That's exactly what Jesus is talking about. Look at the person. Isn't the person valuable? Therefore, it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And he says, hey, stretch out your hand. And this guy, whoosh. And he stretches out his hand, and it was made whole. And instantly, these guys said, we need, the Pharisees said, we need to kill Jesus. We need to get rid of him. We need to dispense of him. And I got to tell you about this. Because the Pharisees had created over 650 laws and they bound it in a book called the Mishnah. They took one rule in the Ten Commandments, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy, and then they put together six 
books, the Mishnah, all of these orders that they wanted to do, their man-made rules, and then they held people to those expectations. And if you didn't maintain their expectations, then God help you. And these still stand true to this day. My uncle's mom, as a young girl, was hired by a Jewish family in Philadelphia for Saturdays only, for Sabbath only. Her responsibilities included serving food because it would have been work to serve food. She turned lights on and off. That was work. So people said, I want to go in this room. Would you turn the light on? I'm leaving the room. Would you turn the light off? She flushed toilets because that was labor. All were considered sin in breaking the law. This is who Jesus talked to. Are you in in chapter 11? Look at verse 28. This is who Jesus talked to. He talked to the people that were under those people, and he said in verse 28 of chapter 11, come to me. Come. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is what Jesus said. I see you. I see you out there. I recognize people who are under unreasonable demands and they are weighing you down. I see you who are experiencing the judgment of others who have created their own standards and you're tired. I see those who have peddled guilt on you and it's a drag and it's a weight and the pressure and the punitive nature of others expectations are too much to bear and you need someone to help carry the load not add to your load and he said that's me that's me come to me this is who he's talking to here's the imagery I want to show it to you in a brief bit. He said, my yoke is easy. My yoke is easy. So I think many of us would would catch this imagery of a yoke. So he's talking about oxen. I want to pop up an image for you really quick of, of an oxen yoke. And this is I think something that many of us would would understand and visualize. So you know, it would be pairing up two two oxen together in order to be able to do a task together. We've seen something like this before. And so imagine if you're paired up 
with someone who is causing you to carry more of the load. They're putting more demand on you. They're putting more burden on you. By their expectation, every challenge is coming on you and it's greater and greater. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I want to link up with you. And this is what he says about his yoke. He says, it is easy. When I pair up with you, it's going to be different than them. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. I'm going to take a load off of you, not add a load to you. When you pair with me, my ideal is to be able to take away from all that you have been encumbered with and imagine those being paired up with someone who calls out every misstep, every blunder. They bring your failures, your weakness to the surface and how much heavier the yoke is, how much harder it is to pull. And then Jesus comes along and his message is so much different than the religious leaders of the day. And Jesus says, that is gentleness. That is exactly what gentleness. And here's how you know that you've been gentle with others. You know you've been gentle when you walk away from another who may have underperformed, who may have sinned, and they don't sense even a greater weight, but rather you have helped them lift the burden from them in how you've handled them. Gentleness infers intentional moderation. They may have deserved a piece of your mind, and yet you've given them a piece of your heart. I want to give you four things really quick, because then we need to move on to self-control. Here's the four things about gentleness. This is right from the text. Gentleness finds its root in humility. They're, they're rate-related. He says, for I am gentle and humble. I'm gentle and humble. Humility paves the way for gentleness. Pride makes way for harshness, for inconsiderate, for burdensome actions. Pride views itself, its expectations, and it puts them on others. Humility says, you know what? I'm not going to do that to them. My way is not the only way. I'm going to treat people with graciousness and generosity. Humility. Gentleness finds its root in humility. Gentleness is fueled by consideration. He says, you know what? I'm here to give you rest. I'm going to take a load on me to take a load off of you. I'm going to be considerate toward your needs. I'm going to be sensitive toward your needs. And then gentleness, thirdly, helps others succeed. He says, you will find rest for your souls. I'm going to have you succeed in the best way possible there's something you're looking for on the inside that you're not going to find with the current religion that you're working through. You're going to find it with Jesus Christ. He says, you will find rest for your soul. And then gentleness is replacing the right to react with roughness, with the opportunity to respond with grace. It's replacing roughness with grace. It's replacing judgment with grace. Says you're weary, you're burdened. He's inviting those people 
and he's going to respond to them instead of with judgment, instead of with hollering, instead of with impatience, he's going to offer them deference and grace. I just mentioned to you, there are people around you. There are people around you that need gentleness. They need it. There are people in our world that need gentleness. There are people in your home that need gentleness. There are people in your work that need gentleness. And God has put in the lives of believers the responsibility to be Jesus to them, to give gentleness to them. And I I just want to express this whole thought to be able to view people with a fragile handle with care perspective, the very same perspective that Jesus did come to me to invite those people. I'm going to tell you the cross. The cross is the best picture of gentleness that we could ever imagine. The cross is the best picture of Jesus bearing the burden for us that we could ever picture. And think about it, because oftentimes religion says, you know what, if you work hard enough, if you try hard enough, if you strive hard enough, maybe God would be happy Maybe you can please him. Maybe you can live up to his expectations. That's religion. And Jesus says, you know what? No. I'll bear that burden for you. You can't live up to those expectations on your own. I'll bear that burden for you. And that's exactly what he did at the cross when he died bearing the penalty, bearing the punishment of God for our sin. So when we look at the cross, we see exactly this concept of gentleness, of yoke-bearing. It's not based on our works, on our effort. If we measure up to others' expectations, if, if any of that ever took place, it would be based upon humanistic endeavor. But really, all of it is based upon Jesus Christ, him bearing the yoke, him bearing all of the work in our place, it's all based upon if we believe that Jesus Christ did it for us. And really, it's summed up in one verse of the Bible. And you may know it, and I know it. Why don't we say it together? It's John three sixteen. Here's what it says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting. It's all about Jesus bearing the penalty for our sin. This gentleness. Max Cato said, I choose gentleness. Nothing is won by force. I choose to be gentle. If I raise my voice, may it only be in praise. If I clench my fist, may it only be in prayer. If I make a demand, may it only be of myself. Gentleness. I want to give you the last one, and I know we'd be cramming a lot into one, and uh, we're going to finish up with this one. Self-control. Self-control. This is quite a one to finish up with here in the fruit of the Spirit It's kind of the net 
the net that draws all of them together. Because really, self is the problem. Self is the thing that gets in the way of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. We're the issue. You know, we've all had those times, those impulses, those emotions, those cravings, and we lose control. In fact, just think about it. I want to give an example. Look at this verse, Proverbs 25. Look at this one. (coughs) Proverbs 25, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. So just think about this verse. Leave it up for a second. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Do you know who wrote that verse? I don't know if you know who wrote it. It's in Proverbs. It may give you a hint. The man who wrote that verse, Proverbs, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Solomon. Let me tell you about Solomon. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. This is a man who said, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. He wrote it, but didn't necessarily live it. It's one thing to say it, it's another thing to do it. Peter, the great of Russia, is quoted as saying, at least he was honest, he said, I've been able to conquer an empire, but I have not been able to conquer myself. Okay, this is, this is the place, remember we said transparency brings transformation? Let's be open. This is us, people. This is me. This is you. This is the hardest thing in the world. And this is how we're going to draw the net on the fruit of the Spirit. Self-control is dependent entirely on the help of God's Spirit in your life. I just want you to think about it. There's a distinction. Please think about it. There's a sharp distinction. Self-control is not control by oneself. You see that? It's not control by oneself. It's rather control of oneself through the power of the Holy Spirit. We cannot do this on our own. People think, I'm going to grit my teeth. I'm going to bite my tongue. Tie my hands up. I'm going to count to ten. I'm going to do all this stuff. I'm going to say, I think I can. 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 And then I can. You know, if we could do it all on our own, then it would be called the fruit of self. But it's not. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And I just want to distinguish this. And this is not lint picking. This is reality. 
Humanism is a religion or belief in self. Christianity is a belief or dependency on Christ. We are here today, friends, because we believe in Christ. Not because we are here to believe in ourselves. Humanism is the belief that mankind is the solution. And I'm here to declare Christianity is the belief, you ready, that mankind is the problem. We're the problem. And Jesus Christ is the solution. Amen? I mean, it's just the reality of it. Humanism believes man is independent and can do what they want without any outside help. And Christianity believes man is dependent on God to do what is best. So here's what it all comes down to. How do we get the Spirit's help to control our desires? And we've said this. And this is the only way. It's the only way because it's the fruit of the Spirit. Jesus said in John 15, 4, here's the verse, here's the way. John 15, 4, Jesus said, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. That's the only way. It's only by connection to Jesus Christ. Fruit isn't a matter of you working harder. It's a matter of you connecting more meaningfully to Jesus Christ. And it's by two things. It starts at the cross. Your connection starts at the cross of Christ. You have no connection unless you believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by him. It all starts at the cross of Christ to believe he died as your satisfying atonement for your sin. It's the only way. It begins there. That's where the fruit begins to erupt in your heart. And then it's practicing the presence of God in your life every day. Genuinely practicing. And I'm going to give you three things for practicing his presence. Number one, it's with his word. It's with his word. There's no way to short sheet this. Continual exposure to the book the Spirit helped write. There's plenty here to help you with what you're handling. And like medicine... It can't help unless you start taking it on a regular basis. And I say, just even go on your phone, get on the Bible app. If you struggle with love, with joy, with peace, you can go on the Bible app and pop any of those in here and have a devotional that you can go through in God's Word every day. Or just go through the regular devotional it gives you. But make sure you're in God's Word every day. His presence is number two. Practice the presence of God. Pray with him every day. Worship him with your music, with your thoughts. But enjoy his presence because he is with you. We just need to understand, acknowledge it, and enjoy it. And then three, his people, his people. Here's ways to daily connect with God through his word, his presence, his people. Look to others that God has put around you and enjoy them for help and support. 
Be transparent with them. Open up your life. Transparency brings transformation. The more others know where you're at, the more opportunity there is for transformation. So would you stand with me? The same one that died to forgive us of our sin is also the resident power to help us conquer our sin. It's the fruit of the Spirit. This power is not in ourselves. It's in Him. It's in His name. And it's in this dynamic relationship with Him. I want you to think right now with your eyes closed, what's your next step? What's your next step for gentleness? For handling others with care? For control of yourself by the Spirit of God? Would you commit that to God right now? Father, work in us, change us, mold us, make us more like Jesus. Thank you that he's so gentle. When he could pound us, instead he holds us, loves us, bears our burdens, and wow, are we blessed. Help us to be that to others, to be a blessing. God, continue to change us. May there be more stories of transparency that transforms right here at East Bay Calvary. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.